Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Dustin Lee and Angela Sevilla Lugo. They're both industrial designers based in Portland, Oregon, and the creatives behind Earthian and Los Objects, respectively. In this conversation, we discuss the dangers of constructing a narrative without direct experience, bringing value to others through design, and the beauty of imperfection. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presents. First time you smoked weed, you had the honey twist. The honey the, twist. Yeah, the barbecue. Okay, well, that's how it's imprinted as the favorite. Yeah, because it's a very. Memorable. But that's not oh, my, my favorite. favorite. Oh, it's not your favorite. No, I. It's a, up there. I would say like high snack, for sure. Salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar. Lay salt yeah. But if you eat too many, then your mouth like almost falls apart <laughs> mm-hmm. like the roof of your mouth yeah. yeah that that's like occupational hazard while eating any type of chips like yeah. the jagged ones but like you have to have them like yeah hard crispy. but i would say like for sure um jalapeno yeah good ones um there's a flavor that they don't sell here uh but you know the takis the mm-hmm. r- the purple bag yeah yeah yep, so yep. back home they sell them in potato chips okay those are delicious Ooh, where's home mexico okay what yeah. city culiacan sinaloa dope dope so, so we uh we started the podcast like a minute ago i, <laughs> I was like we got, i got we got to get this we're starting with we're starting with, with the heat as, <laughs> as the fly comes right back in right here to say what's up to us but Welcome to Opening Presents. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. I am joined by Angela and Dustin of Los Objects. How are y'all? Good. good. Thank you for for having having us. Of course. How's your matcha with no milk doing over there? It's great. Yeah. It tastes like grass, and I love it. (laughs) Energize. So you're from Sinaloa. I'm from Sinaloa. Sinaloa is a state in Mexico um, in the northwest. A lot of people don't know where that is because who will know where Sinaloa is? But I would say like if everyone knows where Cabo is, so it's like to the left, right in the Pacific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was growing up there like? It was great. I mean, um, so the elephant in the room, Sinaloa, the cartel is from there. (laughs) So um, I would say it was there like a before and after. Mm hmm. The before, I mean, growing up there was great, small town, almost like everyone knows each other. I lived 40 minutes from the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, so it was great. It was like going there for a day, coming back home, uh, building sandcastles, like my childhood was by the water. Um, And then by, I would say like third grade, I remember there was like a big shootout in the movie theater, like the newest movie theater at the time that has like a shopping mall around it and all that. And I remember like after that, it was like super dangerous, like you shouldn't go to certain places. 
that kind of stuff I was still you know young so I wasn't like partying or anything but it was you will hear stories um but it wasn't something that was very visible like I would say most uh people that are not from Mexico think it is they think that you know there's just people out the street with guns and stuff like no you wouldn't see that but uh yeah it got it got pretty bad at some point and then um now I feel like I mean it's still there's still violence and all that but Dustin has been there a few times and it just looks like a small town with great food Mm -hmm. uh, family yeah so it's I mean I I love going back there for Mm -hmm. sure that's like the people that I identify with the most it feels still feels like home Mm -hmm. yeah it's so interesting though like when like the reputation of somewhere like is in front of the actual experience and when you get there it's like wait it's not what they said in the movies or on the news like you know how many people i get that ask me like oh how are the riots in portland i'm like oh "Oh, you mean like the two square blocks for like two weeks that cops were beating up people like but in the in the media it's like it existed for so much longer it was so much more intense and it was ongoing Dude. and it was like people yeah. breaking through and looting and all that kind of stuff and i was like like that that literally lasted like maybe like a week or something yeah and you had to drive mm-hmm. to that place right yeah it wasn't yeah like, you have to be there yeah. that's actually um one of the things so like the the pandemic and then like when it started that was one of the things that made me come to realize how unhealthy social media was because for the first you know like when when george george floyd happened and then um Ahmaud arbery and all of those all those people when they got killed it like it felt like that was in that was the only thing on social media mm-hmm. and and that's fine i mean i got i got angry during that time and then of course like when all the asian people were getting attacked like that was the thing that influenced me. And then the riots happened. And I remember her parents like contacting her and like being worried about us because of what was on the news. Mm-hmm. And my parents live back home. And they live back home. Yeah. Right. So it's like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, this is, I mean, this is something well, they don't expect to happen yeah. in a country like the US. Yeah, right? exactly. But um, I remember having people reach out to me and asking me, like, if I'm, if I'm all good. And then, like, literally just living my day-to-day and being like, I'm going outside. People that might not agree with me politically, they open the doors for me. They're saying hi to me. You know, they're just polite people. Mm -hmm. We just happen to disagree on certain things. And I think we had this conversation before, but, like, that doesn't mean it's not real. But it also, it, it, you have to balance it. Like, like it, it is not the entire reality of your existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made me really step back and be like, yo, what am I doing? Like, why, what am I getting angry for? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you don't, I mean, that's a whole nother subject. Like, you don't have to get angry, but, but yeah, just being, being like on social media, it influences your reality and perspective of the world in a way that's like not true to reality. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has their own like framework that they've, devised in their head based off of the information and experiences that they've had so it's like if you're gonna try to like 
audit and gain consensus, it's going to be a losing battle at all. It's like we're all trying to like like see it my way, see it this way. Like yeah. the image that someone has in their head of me and my offerings to the world is different from each person. So I'm wasting my time if I'm going to try to get everybody on the same page about who I am or care if somebody like has interpreted me right or wrong because it's their interpretation. It's like, let me like allow you to just have it. Like, I don't want to have any type of control over it. It's like, all I can control is like what I decide to share with the world. Right. Like what you guys do with it. Like that's, that's up to you. Yeah. 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 And that's the other side of it is, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Not, I mean, we were just talking before we started like the, not letting social media influence how you live your life too, right? I mean, you can talk about like your mom, what we were talking about earlier, but. Yeah, uh, uh, like going back to uh, my experience back home, I feel like the the hard years, because there's been like a few, I guess, um, evolutions of the problem, right? Like my parents, I would say they experienced the first boom of the cartels but they were not in Sinaloa they were in Jalisco in Guadalajara Um, and then how they experienced it moving over to where they're from and then uh, it sort of calmed down but then you have all these movies being made then recently like the narco series on Netflix, show. which I watched it. It's and a great show. <laughs> it's a great show. It has a like, great music. It really uh, puts you in that mindset, right? Um, but it's it's things that everyone back home is always like, ah, oh, we don't want people to to care about these bad guys or like search stories about them or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. We we want to move on. We want to have, uh, you know, like other experiences being told like that's what i see a lot of people back home including like my brother who's also a creative they're trying to create new uh, narratives or like expose that our hometown is more than just that there's a lot of creative people that are uh telling their life experiences through art and there's a lot of potential there but of course like the low-hanging fruit is the the violence Mm -hmm. um and like that's what we see on social media being told about different communities uh you know and all that uh i mean nobody's talking about the person that opened the door for me today or that was nice to me at the grocery store today you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. not it's not newsworthy but yeah, I think that's how that's like our role, though, as like the new generation to to highlight the oftentimes like unspoken or or the the things that we find valuable in the day to day living, the normal things that and highlight those things. It's like if there's an old guy that opens up the door, like, for instance, like I did like a production shoot for a commercial and I forgot to like check ahead of time for like um, parking we had this this big truck with all the production equipment in it and we were shooting in Northeast and we needed a place to park the truck. And I'm like, Oh, there's a church parking lot. It's a weekend. No one's there. Like it should be good. And then this older guy came out of the church, this older black man came out of the church and was like, Hey, like, did you guys call ahead? And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. That was my bad. Like I'm the producer. Like, like, what do we need to do to make sure that this um, works well? He's like, Oh, I need to make a phone call. 
and he comes back out and he's like, yeah, sorry. Like my boss said that you guys can't park here. You guys have to go somewhere else. And I was like, oh, well, thank you so much for checking. Like, I really appreciate you for being so kind to us. Like we'll find somewhere else to, to park this truck. And just like that interaction alone, like affected me so much. Cause I'm so used to just in this city, especially like kind of getting like like shamed and and kind of verbally punished for like my quote-unquote ignorance or whatever and like it completely flipped my expectation of like this is what it should be like it's not a big deal like it's a parking lot who cares about like this and now I'm like thinking like oh like I want to do a podcast with this guy like at some point and I'm going to knock on the church door one time and like is like is this gentleman here again (laughs) and it's like those are the things that we have the autonomy as creatives to be like I want to highlight this person or I want to highlight this community Mm. because I can see the worth and the value I know violence is sexy and it's the low-hanging fruit but people are tired of that shit and it's our response it's a responsibility on our end to kind of cut through it all and not take the bait and be like, oh, I'm going to speak or I'm going to create on the same frequency as these other things that are getting the attention. Like, I'm not going to sacrifice this truth, this connection um, for the sake of clicks or attention anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. And then, and then the other side is also like, those things are reality too. You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. like I said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I guess a balance of both as like, this also exists and maybe what you're talking or speaking to is like a this counter movement of not talking about these these things that are just attractive on social media but moving to also highlight the 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 acts of kindness and, and things like that that are happening mm-hmm. so dustin where are you from and where's your family from i'm i'm from portland uh oh I, you are i thought you're from the bay no nah, I, I was <laughs> i i uh no. I, I was born in San Jose, but we only lived there for two years. So I don't remember like my childhood. I mean, my two years there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in, in Portland, technically Vancouver, Washington, right across the bridge um, to all the Portland homies that'll call me out for that saying I'm not technically from Portland. Um, <laughs> is it an issue for them? <laughs> I, I guess it is, even though I'm right there. Um, but yeah, my, I, grew up, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington. Um, my family, you know, my background, my ethnicity is Vietnamese. So my parents came from there, um, after the war and, you know, we landed in San Jose first and then came here. But yeah, this is where I grew up. What was growing up in Portland like and how has it changed over the years? So this is interesting. So my perspective of Portland, um, I don't think was accurate as a kid. Um, and why I say that is because my parents, because we're Vietnamese, we only went to the areas that had Vietnamese people. So, so my perspective, and I went to, I was like, I grew up in the church. So, and my church was all Vietnamese. All my friends were, um, people of color, you know what I mean? So I thought Portland was more diverse than it actually was. We never went to like, like Hawthorne or, you know. Um, 23rd or whatever. I, I, we didn't mm. go to those areas. <laughs> we went to like 82nd Avenue and, you know, Sandy. So it was like, my perspective of Portland was, it is, it was diverse. Um, there's a lot of Asians here. Um, but then my perspective of Vancouver was that it's very not diverse. It's very white. And still, it's, it is that today. 
it's still more uh, more white than Portland is even. Um, and Vancouver is actually where I really realized, I, I really noticed that I was different than the people around me. So, I mean, immediately, so like I'll, I'll talk about like my, uh, my arrogance as a child, right? My parents, obviously they came from Vietnam. They didn't speak English very well. They had an accent, like they still have a very strong accent now. And obviously growing up in that, that's, I thought that was just the way you spoke English. So I went to school, uh, kindergarten, preschool, and kids would try to correct the way I was saying things. I would actually correct them. um but i remember i think in first or second grade was the first time i realized that i was really different was this kid uh asked me what i was i said i was vietnamese he's like oh are you Viet Cong?" um i had no clue what that even was at that point you know i had no concept of like being even being different or whatever um so I went home and asked my parents what that was. And they, you know, they explained the whole, like, why we're here and, and all this stuff. And I understood. And then I, I finally realized that it was this, uh, this, like, derogatory term. But that's, like, really the first time that I realized, like, oh, oh, I don't, I don't think I belong here. Like, this is not, this is not my home, mm. you know? Yeah. Ah, those those adolescent moments when you realize yeah. <laughs> that everyone around you has, is looking at you a certain way. And it's yeah. just like I was I grew up in like a like a pretty much all white area, too. And it's just being like one of the only like black kids with all white friends and stuff. And a lot of the times it's it wasn't even like I didn't even interpret it as anything as being racist or anything like that. I remember there's this kid named Timothy in elementary school that would literally chase me around the playground to touch my hair. Mm. And I thought it was just like, oh, it's a little game that we're playing like mm. type of thing and not like fetishizing like my hair and just literally like chasing me like, oh, it's so fuzzy. Ah, I'm like, you fucking creep, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but then it's like, I didn't have any reference point for like, yo, like, like these days, if that was like on social, it would be like this big no. old thing. Yeah. It would be like, like I would have like all the, uh, like a- activists like we need to get this kid's parents like fired for <laughs> raising such a fucking right. creep yeah. but yeah. I, had, I had no clue until then so like a lot of like my processing of like the the like traumas or like the slights like are in hindsight now I'm like oh like my my fifth grade spelling bee teacher like gave me the world the word alcohol in the spelling bee and like what does that mean like when everyone else is getting like spell the word like bridge and elegant and mm-hmm. like hero like hero whatever like yeah. and I'm just like right. why is the one black kid's word alcohol like type of mm. thing and it like yeah. burns it in my head I spelled it wrong <laughs> oh, <laughs> forgot no. forgot the, forgot the word the the L but it's like those subtle things that are like sprinkled into like our culture and how um how how we have to navigate all of these like subtle and not so subtle slights to our personhood is is wild and i think like we it shapes the the voices that we have creatively like when we come through it all and then it's like oh now i can like really express the things that i was kind of withholding that i was afraid to back then do you yeah. guys remember kind of your first explorations in putting things out into the world that were 
kind of uh, illuminating or things that you wanted to share initially? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Like uh, personal feelings? Yeah, personal feelings are just like person like ways to express yourself in other areas where it's like I'm not gonna go have a confrontation with this teacher or this kid that is treating me in a certain way yeah. but if you have like if you start coloring or you start writing oh, poetry or yeah or I, things I will, like that I have a so I've I grew up my whole family's always been you know how families have like sports my family was like architecture magazines Let's look at buildings. Uh, and so it was always like drawing and stuff was very common at my house. And uh, I remember in fourth grade, I, I've i never been a, like a, the favorite of the teacher, all of that. And uh, my school had, I it was like really bad culture, but the teachers were very obvious with who was their favorite. And a lot of it had to do with the, the moms of the kids giving them gifts or like kind of that kind of game and I was sick of this teacher and I was like well I want to draw so I made up a comic book like making fun of her basically (laughs) and and (laughs) and so I made up this comic book and I put like some ugly glasses on her that she didn't have but I made up a caricature of her and then I had this other character that was the teacher's pet that I like couldn't stand that girl. <laughs> and I just made little strips and I and my because they used to sit us in like groups of four or three. And I remember this other girl uh, that saw it. She was like, oh, this is pretty funny. So we were just like laughing. He 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 ha ha ha. The teacher sees that we're distracted and she takes away my comic book <laughs> and she reads it and she gets it that it's her and and then she like she's like hey you shouldn't be doing that but then she didn't say anything about it because because i guess i didn't call the character her name it wasn't physically her but it was like the content so she couldn't say anything about it it's almost like i got away with it and i was like oh this is pretty cool like i didn't have to fight or tell her I hate you or whatever it was just like oh I just did my drawing I mean she didn't let me draw anymore (laughs) in her class but yeah it was it was fun I because I wasn't um I wasn't very vocal about anything so I thought oh this is cool like you can draw and have fun with it and Mm -hmm. get get it out in a in a fun way um yeah I think that's that's my first one I think nice what about you Dustin I I don't remember to be honest. I I've all, I've drawn like since I don't know, I was like 3 years old or something. So that was always my outlet. But I don't think I even knew uh, even though I love drawing, I didn't know at a young age that it was like a a way to express myself. Actually, I think I was more of like a designer to be honest. So I I love like Leonardo da Vinci. I read one of his, uh, not his book, it was a fictional book about him called The Disappearing Bike Shop, and he was a character in there, and he was just this cool character, so I got obsessed with him. And so I would draw things like rocket shoes, or, you know, just make up things. But there, there was no, like, um, self-expression, I guess, through that, that medium. My medium was writing, more so than anything else. Um, writing poetry mostly was like my form of expression and if I look back one of the things that like sticks in my head as something that 
I guess, express myself or my like philosophy about the world. There was a a poem. It, I basically bit this poem, you know, or bit this concept. But it was this poem about if you, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard that um, that story of like if you don't say anything, then the uh, so if somebody else is suffering something and you don't say anything, you're just as fault. You're just as at fault for it as that person that takes them away. So I just wrote a poem about around that. I, th- I don't know why that was the thing. Like, I think I just remember seeing kids getting bullied and just being like empathetic toward them. Um, and yeah, that just uh, sticks in my mind as one of those. Mm-hmm. I was like in seventh grade or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause growing up, like I always like drew and like created things and always like thinking about certain things and how do you express it? I remember like in third grade, I was watching like, like National Geographic and it was like the orca whales, like killing like seals and stuff. And I was just like, and I, there's like this rebellious, like need for justice, like in my life. Like when I Mm. see something like, like whenever it was like handball or something or like a dodgeball or something like that, I would always be on the team that had like all of like the nerdy kids and the non-athletes, even though I, I grew up being an athlete. So I was like, like played baseball and I naturally gifted in all these sports, but like all the athletes and the football players and stuff would be on like one side together, dominating the other team. And I like choose to go on like the, the underdogs team and like, like fucking oh, yeah. fight the fight the bullies and fight yeah, the pretty yeah. boys and the popular kids and and that was always like a role that I always like saw like like saw myself because I felt like like I never got like my due like on that side so I'm like you know what like let me like let's just do the fight upset um so I I watched like this National Geographic of like orca whales and they're like killing all these seals and I'm like poor seals and I remember creating a, a illustrating like a book that we presented in front of the class but it was called island of the killer seals so <laughs> i drew all these seals with like uzis and gats and guns nice. and and they were just shooting like the they were shooting like the fucking the orcas they were shooting the people they're like fuck this shit and just murking everybody <laughs> and i was so proud of this like book and like some of the kids were like that was so cool but then um it turns out like my teacher like went to my parents and was like hey like aaron's a disturbed kid and oh, da da and it was a teacher that i actually like liked too and i was like i i heard that like that that she said these things about me and i was like completely like are you serious like i i had no clue and i was like i'm not like that like i was just trying to like yeah i was defending the seals like conservationist over here right and so like hitting those like types of i don't want to say roadblocks but like i go like in and out of creativity where it's Mm -hmm. like oh I'll, i'll like be casually like writing like graffiti on my uh on my dresser at home and just it was just paint all over the place and then like kind of like uh, balancing that with just like being identified as an athlete but there's mm-hmm. always been a through line of like expression throughout my life and it's evolved over time but it's interesting to just see it it's always there it's always like this energy that stays with us and and once we remove kind of like the self-judgment and the doubt and all of those things because even in college like like I went to school for like this degree and stuff but I never truly like felt like I could do it every single day or be like identified as such and it's always this grander like thing that I would never attain until it's like over the last couple of years it's just like oh it's just me 
it's just me. Like I just can do as I feel and trust those intuitions and push those things into the world and hopefully like they can help people in some way. But how have you both kind of like navigated this urge to express um, into adulthood and, and finding um, a place to land and feel like you're really connecting um, with your craft as it evolves? I think the first thing even before that is getting over the fear of being judged. That's like a huge part of it because I mean, even now, like, and I've done a lot of internal work or, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, even now I have thoughts like that. Uh, when I post something on social media or just, just taking a chance and, throwing an event or something like that there's always like a a fear of oh if, if this fails you you might look stupid you know um so even before like putting something out it's it's that it's like getting over that fear first because unless you want to create for yourself um and not have it interact with the world you know uh so i'll say like that's really where I started is even getting to the point where I feel confident enough to, to, to put something out there. Um, I'll, I'll say like this with, with Earthian, when I first started it, even before I put it on Instagram, um, I started a private blog just to create the feeling like I, I'm putting something out there in the world, but it was private. So nobody mm. could see it. I'm not telling anybody about it, you know? It was just like a private diary, but just that act of like, okay, now I'm putting it out there. And then I started taking those pieces um, that I felt confident about. I put it on Reddit as an anonymous person so that, and even that was like a huge step because anyone that uses Reddit knows that there's savages on there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, that was the next step is finding like the community and sharing those thoughts with those, that, that group of people. And then it was only when I got good feedback. Like, oh, this really resonated with me. You know, this this made me rethink this perspective or whatever. Um, that's the only time that only then I started an Instagram. I started sharing it uh, on my own personal page and, you know, on, on the Earthian page. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I guess to some people it would be like a lot of unnecessary steps. Right. Mm-hmm. Like from from from, <laughs> I could have just put on Instagram straight away. That's it. Yeah. Um. But I guess that was something I needed to do for myself. And I'll say, since that time, I feel much less of that. Like if I was to do Earthian now, it w- it wouldn't be that. I would just put it out. Sure. Um. Well, for our listeners, what is Earthian and what yeah, is the yeah, expression good, yeah. of it? Is, yeah. yeah so that. yeah. So Earthian. Uh. You know this. <laughs> This is something I try to figure out for myself because I don't I don't think I even know what Earthian is. Um, but I guess the general philosophy of it is like self-exploration, self-inquiry, trying to understand yourself. Um, kind of the work that I've been doing with myself over the last whatever, 10, 10 15 years, uh, trying to understand myself, which stem from like this anxiety, this insecurity that like has existed through my, my entire life. Um, that, you know, mixed with like self-reflection, mixed with this grand idea that I had to do something important in life, right? Um, I, don't, I don't think that I have to do anything important in life anymore, 
but that's where the the idea of Earthian started. Um, and what I realized was the most important thing that people need to figure out, maybe not the most urgent thing, I'll say like climate change and there's, there are other things that are more urgent, but, uh, this idea of self-reflection and ultimately leading to like self-awareness and self-love and self-care that is important because if we care for ourselves and we love ourselves, we don't need to go uh, buy things that we don't need to impress other people. Um, it just, it's the core of so many things that we do uh, as people is we need to do something to impress others. And with this idea of self-love, you don't feel that urge anymore. You don't feel like this weird, like dark, you know, so, uh, ac- socially accepted emotion um, that so many of us have. So that was the first step. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, over time, it just kind of developed into this, this thing, um, where I, I guess I get to share people's stories. I get to share things that I'm learning along the way. It's really that it's really like a a self diary for myself and then other people as well. Um, but at the stage that it's in, I don't even think it's like where it's definitely not where I want it to be, you know, um, there's a lot of growing. There's a lot of doing, mm-hmm. like you said, like you mentioned before. There's a lot of doing without thinking, even that I need to do with it. Uh, so that's yeah. What were some of the earliest explorations of your like self love, self awareness practice that led and inspired Earthian? It it felt like a um, like a winding journey of like walking in the a dark room and trying to figure out like where the light switch is. You know what I mean? Like going, starting from the corner in a big warehouse with uh, just walking around. That's to me how it felt because it didn't start with like, oh, I need to, I need to uh, love myself because everyone's, you hear that your whole life and it sounds like a cliche. Like you're like, I don't even understand what that means. I had no clue what that meant until I found like a gram of it for myself. Mm. Um, in the beginning, it was like, how do I become less stressed? Uh, when I was younger, my dad, he has a lot of anxiety. We didn't know it as an anxiety. We knew it as like he, he was always holding something in. He was stressed out. Uh, he would take it out on people, you know, um, take it out on our family and things like that. Just the anger and things that, that stem from that kind of feeling. Um, and I had that, I saw those patterns in myself. And so the first thing was like, how can I, control every aspect of my life so that I can be happy. Right. So let's, let me make the schedule. Let me get this goal. Uh, let me figure out every single minute of my day so I can be as, as effective as possible so I can achieve this goal that will make me feel like I accomplished something. So that's like really where it started. And then, you know, I, I, I'm an obsessive, like addictive personality kind of person. I just went down the rabbit hole of like, all right, let's read, let's read more things. And actually, uh, I told Angela before I started meditating, like, uh, when I was 21 years old, so 15 years. And the reason I started meditating was Russell, um, Simmons, Russell Simmons. <laughs> I read his book um, because I wanted to, I, I like loved his lifestyle. Which book? Oh, I forgot. I forgot. Su- super rich. Uh, one of those early ones. Yeah. 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 And he talks about, uh, doing yoga and he talks about meditation and I was like oh 
this dude is telling me to meditate and he's rich. I'm I'm gonna meditate. <laughs> <laughs> and he's black. <laughs> yeah, right. And I could reson I could like resonate with him because I wasn't seeing anyone else saying that, you know what I mean? And he came from hip hop and I really resonate with hip hop. So so he got me to f- start meditating. And then, you know, when you dive into that world, you just like see you see all kinds of shit. You you find things along the way that might be useful and might not be, you know. You just kind of pick and choose for yourself. Um and I'll say like meditating at least for me was the prerequisite to even being aware enough to understand that I didn't love myself. Mm. So like honing the skill of being aware of my my mind and my body was the first step. And it was really I would say like in the last two years that I understood that I didn't love myself and then um, I guess started this route to like learning how to love myself. And that's where Earthian comes in, you know, it's mm-hmm. like two years old. It's, it's like coincides exactly with this path that I'm, I'm on. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's wow. It. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I have a, that, that is very, very similar to like my experience with opening presence and figuring out how to love myself and realizing that I was hating on myself for my whole entire life and not as just always seeking validation from outside of myself. But that initial inquiry of like, you know what, I'm going to start like exploring this internal world. And like at some point, like that giant dark warehouse, like you find like a comfort within it, even like in the beginning, it's scary. And you're just like, I don't know where the switch is. But then you stop even like looking for the switch. (laughs) You're just like, you know what, like, I'll get there when I get there, but I'll be here. Like, I'm safe right now. Yeah. Like, I'm safe in this moment. There's nothing here. Let me just pay attention to my senses and, and my energy and, and just be okay. And then it's like, when you stop trying, that's when, it's like, like the lights, mode. yeah, the yeah. lights just turn on immediately. And then yeah. it's like, we go th- back into those places, but having that inner trust that we can pull ourselves out is something that meditation gave me. And that was my first time meditating too, was through a Russell Simmons book. That's so funny. When I was 19 years old, (laughs) like in the middle of the book, it said like, drop the book now and go meditate. Yeah. And like I went and did it and I was like, oh shit, my first ever meditation, 19 years old. It didn't lock in until like many, many years later, but that was like a, a great introduction of like, oh, there's another way outside of like what's being sold to me that the world is telling me i'm like i'm looking at like all these like propositions that are constantly being thrown to us now and i'm like oh thank god for my practice because i don't have to grab onto any of these things i can just be invisible and like watch these things flow through me in a way and i don't have to cling to these things and that's something that's um, a beautiful thing i mean it's funny Uh, i'm curious if this is like true to your experience too when i first started meditating i thought that I had to completely silent my mind. And the only way I could do that was to make everything around me silent. So if a, if a person came into my room while I was meditating and interrupted it, I would get frustrated <laughs> because I didn't know what meditation was. I just thought it was like, you have silent, to sit there and be yeah. silent. Yeah. And it is to a degree. It's like a, it's an entry point, you know? Um, but what I've realized more as, as I, I've done it for a while is like, it's dealing with those frustrations and still accepting it and, and just being with it and seeing what your mind does in reaction to those things. Uh, did you have like a similar path or? Uh, 
I guess like trying to control it, like, yes, in the beginning, but I think I quickly learned, like I had a dog, so he would like come in and interrupt my meditations. And it's always like nowadays, I just see it as like an opportunity. Like I was saying before we started, it's like we last meditation, I or we start, we did a meditation in this space and there was a fly and it was just like before, like the fly was like extremely annoying. And then I was like, oh, let me just sit with the fly and like not have any urge to destroy it or anything and it's like you free yourself and and anytime those things come up it's like an opportunity to like release ourselves from that connection to the thing or identifying it as a nuisance or identifying as a stressor Mm -hmm. and all throughout the day it's like I feel sensation in my body that that is telling me that there's tension that there's stress and the sooner I'm able to realize it like I just try to drop down into it and meet it and breathe through it and then it kind of completely shifts the relationship I have to that discomfort and that feeling and it's like that in essence means that we're practicing all day and that's like a cause for celebration in my life I'm like oh I caught it I caught it before it started like gaining momentum down a hill and like picking up everything and it turns into an avalanche it's like no it's like it's a pebble right now and it's like it started to grow and then i caught it and anytime that i do that i'm like ooh, yes this thing yeah. is actually like working right now well it's also like how many times in a day or in a week will you have like the perfect silence right it's not that many it's almost like um when you hear either ourselves or other people saying that oh well i would make I would be such a good photographer if I had this camera and then you buy the camera and then you're not a good photographer. So it's, it's, it's getting, (laughs) it's getting to that is practicing, right? It's like with, with ceramics, uh, sometimes I, I go online and I see these beautiful, uh, glaze techniques that require equipment that I don't have and I my mind wants to go to well if I had that thing yeah then I would make a piece this cool and then I'm like no 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 so I I know the finish effect that I want so how can I do it with the stuff that I have at home and then you become a a better maker because you're working around the technology right and it, I think with meditation like Dustin is saying when he's meditating I I used to be like oh if I open the door and I see him I'm like oh my god no noise need to close the door and he told me like no it's fine like live your life and of course don't like slam stuff around but uh yeah it's just you have to do your practice while everyone else is existing Mm -hmm. and that's when you feel like oh you you really have that um that technique down or like you you're really exercising that muscle really well mm-hmm. because feel, life it's life is chaotic yeah that's what you're practicing you're not it's practicing not perfect. for perfect experience like perfect scenarios you know for perfect external scenarios yeah yeah how do we be with everything yeah you highlighting like the photography thing i resonate with that so oh, fucking much where it's like oh like I'm not going to start this project unless I get that equipment. Like yeah. even with the camera thing, it's like I when I first started shooting, it was like, ooh, I got to get this Canon 5D Mark III, um, but I'm not going to practice with what I have 
for this moment right now. And like, that's a huge like barrier to entry for any creative process or for any person where it's just like, you're judging yourself and like, I'll, why are you judging yourself against like someone who's been putting in decades on something? I'm just like, you got to put in the time and, and like letting go of that, that type of thing is, has been a huge blessing. Like, cause like you see what we're recording on now, we're not in a studio. Like we're in my little apartment (laughs) off of like a zoom recorder. This is far, like we're holding the microphones. Like it's, there's no, there's nothing fancy. This is, and this is some like a conversation that I talk to like a lot of creatives about, um, when they're like telling me what they want to do. And I'm grateful that people are willing to share their ideas with me. But whenever they bring up like, Oh, once I get that, I'm like, no, no, no. Like you don't need that. Like, this is how you do it. Like I have friends that want to start podcasts and I'm like, Oh no, no, down, download the app called anchor.fm. You can speak into your phone and publish a podcast on all the streaming platforms right now. Like you don't yeah. like I'm I like eliminating the excuses because I've done it a million times, mm-hmm. but not too many people outside of like Virgil Abloh, rest in peace, like that just give us the secrets that are like, yeah. oh, this is how like on his website is like, this is how you build a brand. And it's all yeah. right there. And it's yeah. like, oh, with all the resources of oh, this is how you form your LLC. This is how you design a website. This is how you press shirts. And it's like like the gatekeeping of mm. these things like they're impossible to do i'm like no like they're all very possible if we just stick to it and stop conceptualizing um these things and making them bigger than what they are because i'm yeah. sure like like your first time doing ceramics it was like the big barrier oh my gosh. and then it's like once you did it and it's just like oh like that's what it was so yes so uh with ceramics because i've never been a good drawer I really, I don't enjoy painting, but growing up, like when you think of artists, you think of a canvas, right? You don't, you don't think of like, you can write, you can do all these things. So, um, I remember the first time that I tried physical objects, um, it was glass blowing and ceramics and jewelry at the same time. And, um, I remember specifically with ceramics that, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just following the steps. And then you put this thing in a kiln and it turns into a rock and then it turns into a thing that you can eat out of. And it looked wonky as hell. Like it didn't stand on the table. You know, it was almost non-functional, but I could put something in it and then drink that water. Or, And, and that was super rewarding. And I it was like, oh, well, I made a vessel. You just have to practice and get better at it. But another thing that I noticed uh, going into these three main, um, I guess, types of making art was that everyone, every teacher that I had in each one of those things, they were not gatekeeping any tip. They were showing you the secrets. They were telling you the stuff that they've learned from the masters and then looking up these masters there are people that are 100% open to showing their studios how they've done their work they want people to practice with them because they're gonna die and they want these techniques to live on and to me that was so new because I was somewhat familiar with the world of design and most designers that are really famous 
are assholes and uh once you start learning about them or you watch a movie about them or something like that you're like yikes like you really were not a good person like picasso was not a great person you know as a just an, as an individual so you i had that idea and then seeing that these craftsmen that were so good at everything they're like no this this is open because that's how you build on the techniques uh was to me was mind-blowing and um it was it was just a great way to almost like humble yourself and i wanted to bring that into design school and like we had a great class in our school that's where Dustin and i met in college um for industrial design and we we would share and critique each other and give each other ideas like all of our friends um including us both and it was great to see that we can create that for design because it doesn't exist really easily it's very competitive um but we have the power to make that for our community mm -hmm. yeah it's important to have other people view your work and to like feel like there's a safe space because it's a very vulnerable place to yeah. be to share something that you've created and how can you create that space for others where they feel confident and comfortable to share those things because that's how we like move things forward and how do we like create and nurture creativity and community because like what's the function of art it's like yeah to like bring people together but then also to expand our horizons and imagine what the next thing is and to empower people to see themselves act in the world in a way that's authentic to themselves because it's like you know how like we get rewarded for living someone else's dream It's like you see everybody in these yeah. buildings and they're wearing the clothes that they don't want necessarily want to wear. They want to hide their music selection, their political ideology, and they're putting themselves in these like little boxes. But when we come together and share our creative practice and share the inspiration and, and when people aren't gatekeeping, the world just becomes a lot bigger. Yeah. It's like that's the world I want to live in is like a world that's big and open for us to explore because it's Absolutely. like as soon as we yeah. stop like trying to even conceiving of a of another idea or pushing the culture forward then it's like like it doesn't stop like why would we like we're like fed this idea that everything's static and we're just going to like this mm -hmm. is where it's at it's like technology society and culture is always moving forward so why not be a causative influence on that direction yeah um what you guys are both speaking to this idea of like not gatekeeping and this idea of really generosity of someone that doesn't have to do something but does it out of whatever motivation they have um but if you've ever experienced generosity of someone giving you something without expectation um without even possibility of you adding value to their life um it's it's like an energy that you want to carry on personally right like i've had multiple people in my life give me advice give me opportunities that i i shouldn't have gotten you know um and that what that did for me was it just motivated me to like do more good in the world and try to give to other people um that didn't do anything to quote unquote deserve it um so yeah it's i i just i just like am obsessed with this idea of generosity and just doing things for people without expectation mm -hmm. 
No, I, I agree with that because it gives you so much. Like that's like produces being of service is like the highest calling for anybody. It's like if you want to feel good, like do something nice for somebody and see how you feel. Yeah. And don't expect anything. It's just like blessing everyone around you. And it's like it always comes back to you. And just like you don't look at the watch or the like, when is it coming back? You're just like, nope, like there's nothing, no strings attached at all. And then like whether it's six minutes, six years, six months down the road, like you get a tap on your shoulder and it's like there's like the blossoming reception for you. Like and it's like, oh, this I see the through line to it, but it's not going to stop me from continually like investing in this uh, this wealth of giving. So what is Los Objects? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You look to be like, huh, where are we going with this? (laughs) Uh, uh, What is Los Objects? So same like when Dustin was talking about Earthian, I feel like it has evolved. Uh, it It is sometimes easier to understand because it is technically a brand. Uh, it's a brand where we design objects for the home. We focus on really honing in experiences or moments and making those moments beautiful. Um, as industrial designers, we understand the difference that it makes having, I mean, it could be very shallow, but like on your desk, a pair of scissors that uh, spikes something uh, like a piece of joy in your everyday life versus having a pair of scissors that you don't care about. One, you take care of that object. Two, every time you use it, it's like this moment of happiness. And then three, it makes your space look nice as well. Um, and I, uh, selfishly, I love craft. I am from Mexico, even though the area that I grew up in, it's not, um, rich in craft i grew up with the sense of color and materials and stuff that is made by hand um, and stuff that is not perfect there is this architect luis barragan which um if anyone's familiar with mexican architecture uh the classic you know like what they call mexican pink buildings and all that that that's what he did um and he had a saying that stuff that is not perfect has a lot of soul in it and that's the essence of mexican culture like we're not perfect we don't make things work like like a german manufacturer would that is just like no issues smooth driving no mexicans like it works enough where you get the job done and sometimes that can be mediocre, but I think in craft, it's it's really beautiful because it leaves marks of the people's hands, their gestures, their family or whatever. Um, so those objects, that's like the core of it. Uh, like the soul of it, I guess it started also, I think every brand or every uh, project starts with you trying to find yourself in some way, right? So um, I went into design because I love tableware. The, my culture is around the table, around eating, around talking to people. So I always loved uh plates and silverware and all of that I just thought it was so interesting and finding that you can design that was like mind-blowing to me uh, that people study to do that 
uh, for a living. And so I always had in the back of my head that someday I wanted to end up doing stuff that was around the home, uh, little objects or whatnot. So that was like one thought. Then um, I think after graduating, uh, I don't know if it happens to everyone, but I would say our particular class a year after we all graduated we were all like in this limbo of what am I doing uh did I study the right thing you know like (laughs) just trying to figure out who you are and how do you fit in the career that you're that you chose and um a lot of it to me was like well I didn't grow up here in the United States but my formative years of becoming an adult were here. I, I moved to the U.S. when I was um, 18, 19, and then going to college and studying design. That perspective was mostly American uh, through like the school that I went to and all that. Um, but I had this almost like wanting to uh, blend those two together, my growing up with my design thinking, which is if you if you're gonna make an object, it has to have a purpose. It well, we live in a world where natural resources are not, you know, very vast anymore. So if you're creating something, it has to work. It has to look beautiful, and it has to um, just deliver that feeling. So that was kind of like the idea behind building a brand. Um, the nameless objects literally came from us having conversations and then it just naturally came about merging those my two worlds and also i think that spe- especially in america is very visible that nothing comes from one world anymore everything is mixed um and that's how you build a better anything it just has more thinking it has more intention um and that's how those objects came about Um, And then the third step was literally because I was unemployed and there needed, I needed something to come, you know, like some work. I needed to put my mind into something. And that's what forced Los Objects to have things come out of it, have pieces. Uh, And now it has evolved to what it is today which it wouldn't have happened if Dustin and I wouldn't have partnered up because it definitely started first as like a oh this you know the classic I started a new Instagram account and that's like a hobby and then sitting down together and Dustin saying like hey this this can be like an actual uh this can be like our thing and uh we said okay and we started designing like an actual collection where that was our design brains of like, okay, you need to have branding, you need to have a clear story, a product that connects with people and going through that whole design process. And that it has taken us to where we are right now. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, we're, we're always figuring it out. But like I said, I think it's a little bit easier sometimes to figure it out because you then it has it on the title right you have to create a physical thing so mm-hmm. um yeah that's beautiful thank you I, the intentionality around those things like around los objects and like moving into this new like 
place, like what are the things that we value? I've been taking a lot of inventory of the things that I have in my my world and my space and like getting rid of things that don't resonate like with that soul or with like that that human touch to it. Like there's relate like we're relating to all of the things around us and it's like I want to have a deep, deep connection to whether it's like the things that I put on my body, like I just picked up some earrings right here in front of me, mm-hmm. like from my friend Julia, who made makes these things. And it's like, oh, I'd much rather wear this than going to Zara and spending $45 on some shitty things yeah. that were made in a factory. Like they probably weren't even made by hand. Or if they were, they were like ex- extorted, like, yeah. like labor from people. Like I got these ones from a market. Sorry for everyone that's like listening, but like this, this person, uh, like was at the Hawthorne market and she's Mm -hmm. from Mexico and she made these by hand. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this has a story attached to it. And, and I don't know, it just, it just resonates so much more like that, like rug I have on the wall. I got that from Oaxaca and I got to be with the, yeah, I got to like hang out with like the little lady who made all like the blankets for my brother's company. And like, we just hung out in like their little village in Mitla which is like an hour out of Oaxaca. And we just like, um, I'm going to go down the street and like get some quesadillas and like wait for like <laughs> my brother to like finish talking and putting in his order for these, for these rugs and stuff like that. Um, just really involving ourselves with the creative process as like life unfolds without being like, this is the plan. Like Los objects yeah. in Earthian are going to evolve throughout time. Opening presence is going to evolve throughout time with new yeah. things as the world shifts and changes like like new paths become illuminated and like not having any apprehension to walking down that path even yeah. if like the the end result isn't guaranteed to us it's like it, I have to go down that path right now and I think um like connection to objects can be it it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is like so precious or mm. It just has to be, I think I go back to when I was a kid and I remember, um, I don't know, my mom gifting me a t-shirt and because it had this drawing or this flower on it, I was so obsessed with it that I took care of it and I, and and that t-shirt meant so much to me for so long until it completely disintegrated or I could no longer fit in it. And I think that uh, because of consumerism, because of that uh, idea of like we don't want to fix things, we just throw them away. Um, we have lost that connection to objects, and it it is beautiful to see, for example, the people around us or even some of our customers see that they either didn't think about that before, and now that they um, um, they invested on a piece they have realized the connection that you can have with a planter angela like the first beautiful object i ever had i uh going through industrial design school people are obsessed with objects beautiful objects and everyone everyone in our class and all the classes they they had beautiful objects like beautiful headphones or pe- you, you know pencil water stationery, bottle water bottles and I never, I was always like the, you know, the, the all black, I wore all black, uh, very plain, whatever you like worked. Designer was, was what I Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and you know as i went through industrial design school i started uh seeing the i guess the the beauty in objects actually i had i had a practice that i did but i'll, I'll talk about that in a second angela gave me this pair of scissors i forget from brass scissors yeah these brass scissors yeah. beautiful beautiful scissors and and still this was like years ago five six years ago every 2016 time, or 2017 yeah and yeah. i look i look at the um it's still on my desk in a little cup and every time i look at it every time i use it it's like a pleasure you know but i remember when i so i went to this furniture store and they had this one uh brand that i we both admire it's called hey um and they had of course like their super expensive objects and they had the most affordable quote unquote was a toothbrush and the pair of scissors and i was like i gotta get this like i it's like meeting your idols right but meeting these objects and i got the toothbrush for myself which i wasn't planning on using ever and then the other pair i was like oh i need to get dust in this like he needs to have this like light on his desk like literally brass and i remember i i gift them to you and you were like oh a pair of scissors like cool and then eventually you were like oh yeah i understand well it's like i have this uh, story that i think about like if you are in bed and and you have a pin like a safety pin or um, a thumbtack that's sitting on the floor next to you every day and you just, it's a little thing you just have to step over it every day but over time having that thumbtack there it, it's it's in your mind now. And then whenever you wake up, it just it makes your life a little bit different, a little, a little bit more difficult. And that's how I think about these things, too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a, I still don't surround myself with beautiful objects like on that level, you know. But there's like, I guess it's more about the intentionality of it. Having an intention for the way you set things up, just making your life more beautiful. It doesn't have to be filled with beautiful objects, but arranging things maybe in a way that's beautiful you know things like that like i think that's like the the more important thing about Mm -hmm. that yeah i think that's fun like i I have such a good time just like moving things around or even just the act of just like cleaning like it gets me in like a very like balanced like like lovely like state and like considering like I have like a little jar over there that has my, I'm like thinking about my scissors. I'm like, ah, like when I was cutting my, my, <laughs> my clothes, I was like, these scissors aren't the best, but they work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so appreciating that they work, but then like also like moving into a creative studio, I'm like, oh, maybe I should get like some scissors that are like, you're supposed to cut like clothes yeah. with, you know? And then like, which ones do I get? I'm going to look at hay now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah it's, this process that we're always engaged in is like making our lives beautiful, make, like creating beauty, like within our conversations, like this conversation right now is absolutely beautiful. And it's like, we're creating it in real time. And like, I think that's kind of like, like allowing our creative process to be that it's like, like this energy we're going to put towards our next thing, whether it's directly or indirectly, like we don't have to like quote like, Oh yeah, like 17 minutes and 59 seconds when Dustin or Angela said that mm-hmm. I'm going to apply it into this way. And it doesn't have to be so like X, Y, and Z like drawn out, but we just trust that it's like, Oh, like this, there was an energy exchange, whether someone did open that door for me that I'm going to apply through the art and through the craft and creating this this uh vase or something and taking that extra time to like sit with it and meditate it 
yeah. meditate on it. It's like we're transferring like our appreciation for yeah. our lives, our families, our cultures, like in the moment that we're creating something. And and I think we're, we slow down in that sense and like become less judgmental of like, how is it going to be received in the market? Yeah. Like who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there are moments where I'm just like, oh, like they're pedestalizing Andrew Tate and red pill culture and mm-hmm. all of these things. And this is, I'm like, yo, like we're on some shit right now. Like this is the value. This is the meat and potatoes. But yeah. it's like, like I don't, I don't, I'm not sitting around waiting for people to like wake up to, to see the beauty or to receive the things that we have to offer in the way that we want them to. It's like when crisis becomes so unbearable, that's when we start meditating and we find, uh, Russell Simmons and we does, does like start the inquiry. But then luckily for us, when people are ready, there's going to be a lot for them to consume and for them to be felt like filled and fed with our offerings, regardless of when they find those things. And I yeah. think that gives me confidence moving forward is like, Oh, but we know we're, we're doing the right thing right now. And it's not like, it's for y'all, but it's also for us as well. Yeah. yeah. 100%. That's like the, the two sides of art, right? Yeah. A lot of it. I mean, at least how I think about art is I, I separate it from the artist, and I know so much of art is like, directly tied to the artist like it's almost like you need to understand the artist before you understand the art but for me there's also this surface layer of when I look at art I have to be able to engage with it personally understanding a story and why it was made and who who made it and for what purpose what 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 purpose it served in their life that's one thing Um, and that's important too but make art that people can engage with is, is another thing. And that's not up to the artist necessarily. Um, it just, it just is what it is. Like if you, if you resonate with, you resonate with it and that's, that's it. But, uh, yeah, I just, I guess I'll, I'll get off my, uh, my soapbox <laughs> of art, but no, that's, you riding it. <laughs> we're here. We're along for the ride in ours as well. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think, um, so like with creating, specifically ceramic objects right now uh i grew up with the idea uh this is like super specific but of when you have your house and you have your tableware it all needs to match because it's almost like a base for serving people food and when i um I started, I wanted to make plates for myself and all of that um, before Los Objects started. And I ended up making uh, what my mom likes to call a tutti frutti collection, which (laughs) means like all flavors. Uh, And none of the plates match and all of that. And that used to stress me out if I had people over. Like the, the idea of someone might judge me because I don't have matching sets to me that felt like so unorganized or like you weren't professional or you whatever like all of these ideas and I slowly realized that it was part of accepting myself and also accepting the craft that not everything's gonna look alike and it's also fun to tell a story from the beginning like you're telling your guest that this is who you are or this is part of your personality um part of the experience like maybe that's the conversation started like why we have plates that have cracked and i have glued them back together and i don't care anymore i'm like i love this plate and i want to keep eating out of it (laughs) and so i'm i'm gonna 
keep using it. And that can be a conversation starter. Um, and, and it's funny because I've, I've gone to people's places where they have that collection of like, they bought a, a plate over here, they bought a bowl over here, and it's part of their life story. And I admired that, but I couldn't do that for myself. So it's also, um, I think part of creating or surrounding yourself with art, you start figuring out what's making you comfortable, but it's also, you have to be open to that reflection part because there's many people that go to a museum. They, for example, I've heard so many people say that Basquiat, his paintings are like overrated or they're like so brutal or whatever but it's because it makes you uncomfortable it's like there's something there that you need to process um and and then you're like wow holy shit a painted painting made me realize something about myself like literally uh my collection or like my tableware made me realize an insecurity of mine mm. and that i think that that's the power of what you surround yourself with physically and of course mentally and all of that you can too. really use anything in your life to self-reflect yeah because you feel a certain way about everything mm. you know and 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 you're and you feel like some things reflect you in a certain way like like what you're saying with the utensils um so I mean that's just that's just really interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting to get other people's perceptions of it, which is why it's so important for you for people to put their things out there to possibly like affect somebody, but then also just getting like the feedback from the audience of what it is cuz it's like I can paint and do all of these things and it's like channeling this energy out, but like like what is your experience like observing or interacting with like these ceramics or with poetry or the spaces that we create with one another because it's it's always interesting to see that side of things because it's like when you're so close to something it's very difficult to receive the thing that you're intending for someone else to experience it's like when somebody like like one of my friends Vince always like he'll always like highlight things that he notices like shifts and changes like even like in my personality or the way that I carry myself or like my clothes or this or that like he'll see something and then just verbalize it and it's like it's super helpful to me to know that I'm not stagnant like I'm always mm. like shifting and moving and becoming something greater or becoming something else in concert with my community and it's like I don't want to stay the same I don't want someone to say you always do x y and z mm. unless it's like show love and appreciation and like those types Good of things. things yeah the great things and but it's it always is interesting when like like when someone can see your the thing that you created and they're like, oh, so where did this come from? Or, or yeah. this makes me feel this sort of way, yeah. you know? Yeah, 100%. I'm curious about like your journey. So you said, so you, I mean, you went from, you went from this, uh, uh, what you said earlier about making art that you're on the side of the underdog, mm -hmm. right? The seal, the, the killer seals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so how did you get from there to like what you're what you're doing now like what? uh I th very like i said very similar to your process like not having a lot of confidence just like not being validated like i felt like i always had like the like right idea or the right thing that 
everyone should like move lockstep on Mm. like ahead of the curve like oh we all need to be doing this and whenever i would like express this vision i would always get shut down like i remember like i used to love like alan iverson and like i wore like sweatbands to school like on my head and on my arm and like i was i grew up like in a mostly white place so it was like i was keyed into alan iverson and i remember wearing these things to school and i was like in the fourth grade and i went to the drinking fountain and one of the older kids was there wearing a sweatband and i was like oh yeah like i started that and then he turns around he's like no you didn't and then i was like what like i i swear like i know i was the first person at this school that did the alan iverson thing but just like obviously it's like a kid's not gonna be like yeah you were like i followed you like like a little chubby black kid like no like like that's not gonna happen but even in instances like when i was like in like college or like like i remember like driving like i went snowboarding with friends and like i had gone the route like a million times and like i was with a bunch of friends in the car and i was like hey guys like we need to go that way to get back home and like everyone in the car like overruled me for whatever reason and we kept on going straight so we went straight for like 10 miles and then they were like hey guys like i think we need to turn around and then i'm sitting in the back seat like like you motherfuckers like you guys didn't fucking trust you you guys didn't fucking trust me and there was never any like recourse of being like hey aaron that was my bad or anything so no one ever like like told me that i was like right like it would always just be assumed that it's like yeah that was like like i never said anything in the first place i feel like i was treated like that like my whole entire life even moving to portland like wanting to get a job at like adidas and stuff and i've told this story like like I kind of pedestalized them. It was like my mom used to work there mm. like in, in San Diego. And it was like, oh, like to support yourself and to have like the the recognition of being like in proximity to such a worldwide brand and the respect and the creativity and blah, blah, blah. And I built this image up and like I was just like going to interviews and like always like looking on the website, doing my best to like meet people in the city that worked there. And it's like, oh, like these people are all over the city. And like, I would recognize people at the gym and introduce myself and like, Hey, can you like, like hook me up with like an interview or can you put me in contact with so-and-so? And I was like living in that world of like wanting to be validated by this company. And I had like interviews and I remember I give, I get in there for like an interview for like marketing coordinator. And I had to give, I had to give like a presentation about like a marketing plan and I'd fucking went ham. Like I was like, all right, we're going to fucking go to like, we're going to go to New York for uh, Pharrell's festival. Um, we're going to, we're going to do like a, a documentary on Akira Nakai-san, uh, who's like a RWB Porsche, like fabricator. He makes these wide body Porsches and he's the amazing artist and i'm like seeing through the future of like car culture blending with hip-hop footwear culture and like those aesthetics and long-form storytelling and i i get there and like i have like my my deck on like my my phone for like google slides to like project to the tv because we're it's like 2020 or 2019 2018 so i'm like oh like of course we can airdrop it they're like oh we don't have airdrop you have to present on this little like laptop in front of like four people like four or five people like department heads like this is the people who are going to basically say yes or no and you're having me present to everybody on like a fucking laptop screen with everyone huddled around making me small and my ideas small and I presented it. They didn't give me the job. And like, 
I think around that same time, like my mom passed and like, it really kind of just like everything just halted as far as like, oh, the Adidas thing. Like that's when like my, my internal practice started and I started meditating like, and I just started doing things for me at that point. I was just like, you know what? Like, let me get off of this soapbox to fucking limitations and shit of being like, like, oh, in these companies, it's like, I have plenty of friends that were there. They were like, oh yeah, they don't allow me to do anything I want to do. Like, That's what I it's was all limited. Say. It's all limited. I was going to say you yeah. ended up yeah. winning yeah. because they want those ideas, but they don't want them on their floor, like 24 seven because- mm-hmm realistically they won money they're so. a big comp they're they're a company just like every other every company other yeah company yeah that's what it that's what i've, I've yeah. realized too you know what i mean like i've worked at this consultancies like smaller teams smaller companies um and then obviously now working at nike i'm like oh yeah this, this is a big company yeah it really what really matters is the people that you're working with exactly right more than the company itself yeah yeah and i found like in that time, like when I started doing things for myself, like I would just drive out to like the Goodwill bins like multiple days a week because I just enjoyed that process of just like seeking and finding and like finding value in things. And it's like I'd come home with like spend like twenty dollars on like random shit. Like I got this canvas here at, at Goodwill bins in in fucking Hillsborough or Beaverton, wherever it is, and like it was like a, a different piece on it, and like I strapped it to my roof with like with twine and i was on the freeway holding it through the like my sunroof because it was just like oh my god i found the value in it and i'm driving 30 minutes on the freeway with this giant canvas on my fucking roof like blowing catching the but it was like that was just like the process i was in i was just like yo like i want to do things for me yeah like i'm gonna like get a bunch of vintage t-shirts and never wear them or whatever but it was just like not oriented towards like making these people who don't care about me or have the ability to conceive of the vast things that i'm able to create and um, over the years, like picking up photography, meeting new people and realizing that like my power is is communication and sharing these ideas and, and meeting people where they're at and con- truly creating like a rich connection. And then it's like the expression of my art like has that same intentionality around it. And like now I'm finally like really like res- like seeing the vision clearly is like like you said, like the it's the people that we work with. It's like, mm-hmm. like my friend Nick, who's directing the um, architecture video I'm doing. Like he just sent me back. Like, like he just started editing it. We just shot it a couple of weeks ago, and it's like, oh, like I'm on. Like we're on like the widening Kennedy Camp Grizzly. Like any ad agency, like level, like bar none. Like I'll put our shit up against anybody. Like it's quality and we don't have to have a giant fucking office to do it and to prove it. And I've done meditation workshops for them in these companies. And it's like, I'll get like, they'll do it for like, like mental health awareness month or like black history month or whatever. And then it's like, I'm trying to follow up for more like substantial offerings where it's like, Hey, have me in like four times a month for multiple places. And it's like, Oh, well we had a meeting and we don't have like, we're just not ready to, commit to something i'm just like so you don't care that much about your employees that you're willing to just kind of extend a little bit more to make a much larger impact and that's kind of like where the non-compromising comes in where like there's still a part of me if someone knocks on my door and says like hey we'll take 
uh, all of your time, but only require 25% of your capabilities for this check, there's still that part of me that I have to like burn out. But these conversations and like these independent, uh, like creative projects, like my dating events or like whatever, like keep inspiring me to like go on this path because magic comes from it it always feeds me in some sort of way whether that's a collaboration like while we're talking i'm like oh i want to do a los objects collab on an incense holder and it's just like just that idea can turn into something physical it could turn into an experience in our future and there's no resistance for me to do those things or to to ask like where where can i help you guys like those types of things you know yeah so we don't know the answers but it's like i'm committed to this path yeah, there's a, oh my God, I'm forgetting, I, I have a terrible memory, I'm forgetting his name, uh, there's, a, there's a guy I watch who is a YouTuber, um, and he, he's, he's an artist, he does a, a videography and stuff like that, directing and stuff, and he had this one concept, which was do it, and then find the magic along the way, which, what I took from it was come up with the intention like what do you what do you want to do right and that's that's fine to have an intention but then the way he describes it is let's say he's he's doing a shoot and he goes to the location and he sees something interesting on the wall okay that's going to now influence the way and that's going to change a little bit of the way the video is made and that's what i mean by this this magic like magic happens because you're going to let things influence you the path, like the doing, influence you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're, what you're saying just reminds me of that. So it's it's like also not being so tied to the plan mm-hmm. that you're closing off yourself to like other opportunities, mm-hmm. like letting those those things come into your life too, and letting things that you might not intend or agree with like influence your art or whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. Is there anything else you both would like to share with our beautiful listeners? I don't know. I mean, we can keep talking for hours. <laughs> I know. That's right? what, this could go. This could be like a part 14. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think because um, wor- working in design, um, I do color and materials for footwear. Um, color and materials is such a niche part of design in itself. And um, I've found that there's so much freedom on that. And of course, you have to meet expectations of the companies that you're working for. But as a young designer, I remember like looking up to these big companies as like, oh, when I get there, I'm going to have all the freedom in the world. And now that I am there, um, yes, you have. Uh, you can shape and fight for things like my my previous job short long story short um, the marketing team didn't believe in orange as a color for women and it was uh, in like a year and a half that was my mission to just like put it out there like no orange is a color it exists for a purpose like not everyone's gonna buy pink forever you know and it was fun to see that I pushed it. I pushed for orange and yellow. And now to see products that are coming out and they have a yellow 
colorway, I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> but um, going back to like what you were talking about, like, yeah, uh, idolizing those people in high places. But then once you're there, you realize that the people shaking up the culture and also inspiring these big companies are individuals like yourself that might come in once in a while or people that are just on the side, like, uh, I mean, Virgil didn't work at Nike. No, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Virgil, he, he he was he worked a outside of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, specifically that example, Virgil. Um, it's insane the amount of ideas that he brought. That maybe some of them were not like super a hundred percent unique. Like the idea of de- deconstructed work. It's been out there, ready-made, like that kind of stuff since like Marcel Duchamp and all of that, right? But um, him putting it on something that made no sense, like a shoe, why would you want a shoe that looks unfinished? You know, you're, you want to walk on these things. But bringing all of those ideas to a company that uh, would maybe get sued if their stuff looked unfinished or something like that and opening the minds of not just the creators there but also the factories of how things can be done like that is mind-blowing and the stuff that uh i like we are all creative super thankful to someone like him that broke those boundaries but again he was not a full-time employee and Mm. That's how you make the most impact when you take something that makes no sense to the object that you're trying to create and then bring that to life. Um, But yeah, people that are making the best creative stuff, they're not attached to a big brand. And I think that's the future because it's very hard nowadays to convince these old heads on like how old stuff. white heads yeah exactly <laughs> that's yeah. a whole thing <laughs> yeah um but yeah like in, i every time someone is like oh you know nike or whatever they said no to me i'm like maybe that can be a blessing it is a blessing for yeah. your <laughs> career yeah yeah because um Last thing, like I used to attach myself to what I was doing, like that was my identity. And uh, I quit my job. We both moved here to Portland and I was unemployed coming from the tech world, Silicon Valley, where that's all you talk about. What do you do? Um, How do you do your job? All of that. And coming here and having no job title and no like i was having an identity crisis basically because it wasn't like i i can't introduce myself as an artist because i have no work uh, i'm not a ceramicist i'm not a glass blower i'm not this and that and um now that like going back into the workforce and working again as a designer i see the beauty of like never again attaching myself to that job title mm. and it keeps you in one way sort of healthy (laughs) work can be stressful still but uh having your own thing going on Mm -hmm. like even with los objects um we always talk about it like dustin always says like oh um i'm part of los objects but i don't feel that you know existential crisis about anything like i can be 
losing my mind just by thinking about how should the postcard that we send with our products look like. I, I can spend months designing a postcard that should just say thank you, you know. Um, but you overthink it. So I always keep myself like, okay, go back. This is not you. This is just an expression that you're letting go. And let's keep going. Like, don't attach yourself always to your brand or I don't know. That's just like something that I've realized that keeps me sane, at mm -hmm. least. I agree. I live by that same exact <laughs> thing. I'm like, oh, there's freedom when we're not like pedestalizing things that are outside of us that don't care about us. It's like, it's a very unhealthy relationship. Yeah. It's like you're feeding into it and it's like, oh, we can envision this future for you. But it's like, we're neglecting ourselves throughout it and like, like not highlighting it. Like what would actually make me happy? Like, that's the thing that I always come back to. It's like, what's the happy making thing for me? And like not having a boss is very, very happy for me. And it's just like, there's a couple of different levers that I got to press and twist and turn to make sure that I'm able to like keep a roof over my head and all those kinds of things. But I'm actively like engaging in that, like, like showing up to like an agency or a business or a nonprofit as an independent contractor and offering the services that I feel like are valuable and that can help people and for them to see it and then send me, I send an invoice and they fulfill it. And I'm like, wait, did I just do that? Like, did this happen? Like this next week on like Wednesday or Thursday, I'm going to be doing a meditation with um, a community health center. And it's like talking to like their staff for like their like retreat thing. And it's like, these are doctors. Yeah. I haven't done a meditation teacher training. Like I started doing meditations in my living room and starting on IG live and just started talking. And then it got me to like all the, like a lot of creative agencies in town. Not enough. Shout out if anybody's looking, but like nonprofits, I was able to like, like a, a community health center. It's like, I, like, and seeing myself as bringing is worthy of bringing value to these people who went to medical school. It's like, what do I have to say? And it's like, no, I hold myself. I know that my unique experiences and the way that I articulate myself, I'm going to give them something that they can apply to their lives and possibly affect the lives of other people. And I think everybody has that. Like if they sit with themselves to discover it and validate themselves, but it's not ever going to come from outside of them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, that's something that you always talk about with Earthian, right? That you always have that thought of, well, I'm not an expert on meditation or on self-reflection yeah. i guess i don't know like i don't know exactly what you're referring to well, but I, like for me i i look at earthian as like uh i'm not a teacher and, I, and to be honest i don't you are not but the here's the thing you and don't, you don't want carry to. The, you don't walk around carrying the title of yeah. teacher but you are like my doing my teacher. my opinion on like being a teacher, I guess being uh, the word teacher carries like a certain connotation for me, which is like this, uh, this person that has expertise. Um, there's also, you know, the word advice has become like a, a dirty word for me because it, I guess it presupposes that, or it, it, it assumes that you, you know, the other person's like life and, and you know, what's good for them, you know? And there's like this, uh, there's, I guess this ego or whatever attached to that. So the reason I say I'm not a teacher is because I feel like I'm just a learner and I'm, I'm sharing what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I'm not, I would never say that I'm like a, a teacher or, you know, I'm, I'm not giving advice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just sharing my experience. And if it helps you, it helps you. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's it. Yeah, that's fair. I feel the same exact way, but I'll tell you, you're a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a, there was a, I, I spoke at a school. It was like a bunch of like middle schoolers. And one of, there was a, a young person that like asked me, is like, like, what would I do if like at home, like there's a lot of difficulty, like with parents and it's not safe. And I paused for a second and then I said, I don't know. Like, I'm not in your situation. I'm here to talk about meditation, but like finding trust within yourself that you know how to navigate it. You're a 13. I didn't say like you're a 13 year old. You should know this, but it's like, like, like trusting that people know what's good for them. But it's like in that same sense, it's like I'm standing there like, oh, I'm quote unquote the quote unquote expert. I'm like similar to yourself. Like I don't, I'm not an expert on anything, but what I can do is be present with you right now. And that's the thing that I'm trying to refine and get better at is like, how can I be more present and listen and uh, reflect in real time and just be a real, real ass dude? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So where can people find y'all in the interwebs should they want to reach out and learn more about Earthian or Los Objects? Yeah. Well, you can reach us out at Los Objects on Instagram. It's Los underscore objects. Um, And Earthian is at, at we are Earthian on instagram that's it (laughs) dope well thank you angela and thank you dustin yeah and thank thank you you all for listening to opening presents